So I have the deep honor <laughs> of introducing Ben Klawinski, he and his wife. <laughs> yeah, give it up for Ben. His wife, Colette, and baby girl, Olivia, are... Colette, you want to go ahead and stand up? And I'd, I'd actually like, yeah, I'd like if anyone is connected to the family of Colette and Ben, um, I'd like you to go ahead and stand up as well, because I really felt the Lord wanted me to just honor you, that this is a family affair in the best way. <laughs> this is a family that is a kingdom Noah's Ark family that is just in every way is just stunning to me, stunning the grace of the Lord through their family. So thank you guys for helping to mold and create these two warriors and this third warrior that's now with them, with Olivia. And uh, they're part of a, a ministry called Kairos Global. It's a missionary organization. They will be launched out to Indonesia in the new year. They spent years in the hardest, darkest place in Varanasi, India. These are like the GI special ops marines for the Lord. I mean, seriously, guys, this is, this is intense. Their yes has been intense, and it's provoked me every time I'm around them. And that leads me to this week, I was on a run, and the Lord put it on my heart. Uh, each year at Thanksgiving, we have a tradition where we, we say what we're thankful for uh, at grandma's house, and I was kind of prepping for that in my heart, because usually the question gets brought up. And so, um, the Lord dropped this family, Ben and Colette, as other than my family, Jesus, and the Word, this family has been the, the pinnacle of what I've been thankful for in this year. That they've been a gift to us, our church family, our prayer room, me personally. Every time around them, it's like gold. And so I said, Lord, thank you for this family. Thank you for giving them to us for a season. And wow. So that's been, and also along those lines, my friends are my heroes. That's been a phrase that has come up. <laughs> we have prayer room shirts. It was so, such on the Lord's heart, this phrase, that this is a hero of ours. And, and that's what the Lord, he's, he's done such a deep honor in our hearts for the people around us. You know, growing up, my hero was like some sports figure who I've never met or some movie star who doesn't even know I exist. But truly, or some even, even going into to faith, it was like, John Wesley or a saint of old who I've never met, but the Lord says, no, <laughs> yes, they're heroes, but the deepest heroes in your life are the ones you're running with towards me. So I want you even to look around and be like, these are heroes. God has sovereignly placed these people in your life for such a time as this. And I feel that with Ben and Colette. Um, and more than anything, he's going to share his heart, but more than a missionary, more than a special ops GI family, this is just a man in love, and this is a, a woman in love. This is a family in love with Jesus, and that provokes them to do what they're doing, to share what they're going to share. They are in love, and that's, that's it. That's Ben. You're a man in love. <laughs> so let's, let's extend your hands to Ben right now as he prepares to share his heart. Father, thank you for Ben and Colette and Olivia. Lord, thank you. That I just see you answering the prayer of Jesus, that the same love with which you, Father, love the Son would be in them. And Father, I pray this in Ben and through Ben, the same love, Father, with which you love Jesus would be in our hearts. That the same measure and intensity, Father, that you love Jesus, that you would put that in us. In Jesus' name, bless your Son as he shares. Amen. So forgive my tears. When I feel the Holy Spirit, tears come. And so uh, can we actually just go back into that place of prayer just real quick and let's just extend our hands out like in front of you. And can we just ask the Holy Spirit to come? Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. We want you. More than anything, we want you. Let's just wait here for a couple minutes.
Yes, Jesus, we love you. Amen. I don't ever want to ask the Lord to come without waiting on him. I feel like so many times we've always asked, Holy Spirit, come, Holy Spirit, come. But we aren't ones who tarry, especially in my life. And so whenever I ask the Lord to come, I want to be one that tarries with him. And uh, I was just thinking about this morning, you know, the Welsh revival started from a simple, it was a little girl in the church. They had been praying and asking the Holy Spirit to come. But a little girl gets up on the pews and just says, Jesus, I love you. And then the Holy Spirit starts the Welsh revival. That It was a simple song of a simple word of saying, Jesus, I love you, that launched the Welsh revival. And um, so there's something beautiful about singing your love song to Jesus. And um, like Kyle said, I'm a man in love. Um, I'm going to try to preach today. <laughs> um, oh. Sorry, I got a lot of notes. Um, yeah, I was, uh, me and Colette were watching Lord of the Rings yes. the other day. Yes! And uh, awesome. We, we binge watched all three of them in like one, oh, pretty much one day. It was, yes. Cynthia inspired me. Um, <laughs> but in the very first movie, when Frodo goes out, um, he comes across like the Nazgul, the witch kings. And one of these kings stabs him right here. And so Frodo gets stabbed, it's like killing him. He goes to the elves, he gets healed. And one of the things that the main elf says, he says, this wound will be with him forever. This wound will hurt him forever. He will still feel the sting of this wound. And, um, and so you see all throughout the first movie, the second movie, and the third movie, Sorry, I'll hold it down. Should I up here? Yeah, right here. So you see the first movie, the second movie, and the third movie, where you see him constantly grabbing his arm. And like when the evil, like black, like Nazgul people come, he always grabs his arm. And, um, and so even in the third movie, uh, it's at the very end, he's finishing up his book called The Lord of the Rings. And he grabs his arm and he decides because of the wound in his chest and in his arm, he wants to go away to like the equivalent of heaven and things like that. And uh, I was walking out the house one day. I was like, Colette, in the righteous way, we've been wounded by our king where the love of Jesus has wounded us, where it's not just a, it's not just a religion to us, but I'm actually wounded by love. And my, I am lovesick, and we long for to be. With, we long to be with Jesus, and we long for His return. And that's why we do what we do. That's why we'll live in Varanasi, India. It's because we're lovesick, and we'll keep. Do, that's why we'll put ourselves in somewhat dangerous situations and go live in the middle of a slum because these people haven't been wounded by the same love we've been wounded as. And they deserve to hear. And um, yeah. Um, but before we get started with anything else, too, I just wanted to thank Glenn. Um, I believe I got a word for him this morning. And um, one, can we just clap for Glenn real quick? Yeah. Glenn, how long have you been praying here? 20 years? Yeah. And so you, if you ever walk into the prayer room, you see Glenn like 40 hours a week <laughs> on his face, on the pillows right here on this floor. And there's a reason why when you walk into this church that you feel the Lord, it's because Glenn has spent the last 20 years praying for the Lord. He didn't start the church. He didn't start the prayer, house of prayer for fame, for fortune. He started it because he's a lovesick man, and all he wants is the Lord. And, um, and the Lord's doing it in this entire church. And I always try to bring, I wouldn't say I'm a prophet, but I'm highly prophetic, and I always try to bring a prophetic word to the body. Um, but 
even for Glenn, it's the whole blessed are the pure in heart because they will see God. And his intentions of his heart were always pure. It's Jesus, I just want you. And it's the promise in Matthew 5 that you will see me when you're pure in heart. And so Glenn, just thank you for allowing corporate encounter to happen. Thank you for using the Holy Spirit and building this house so that we can all partake in the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Glenn. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You guys can, uh, I've been reading the book of Luke. When I read the Bible, I try to read every book in one sitting when I do read, but sometimes it's hard to read, you know? It's like really hard sometimes. And um, um, But just what I just kind of felt for River in the Hills. So turn to Luke 8. I'm just going to go over this briefly, and then we'll transition into Luke 9, which is what I'm actually going to talk about. But um, So you see, yeah, Luke 8. Luke 8 is essentially Jesus reteaching the Sermon on the Mount. So the Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, but Luke 8 is essentially the reteaching of it. And um, you have the parable of the lamp. Um, this is the part where so Jesus is in Galilee, he's ministering, all these people are getting healed, and then he's teaching, and um, it's funny, his, his, his mother and his brother come to like the crowd of people, and his disciples come up to him, and, they, and he says, they say, Jesus, your mom and your brother are here, and he replies to them, um, who is my mother and my brother, but those who hear the word of God and do it, and um, so after that, like he's needing a little break, so he crosses over the sea, and he goes to another country, a uh, region, Gerasene, if I'm pronouncing it wrong, forgive me, um, that's my Bible degree for you, I guess, but <laughs> it's, he crosses over, so he stills the sea, you know, all the disciples are freaking out, Jesus is asleep in the boat, they say, Jesus, wake up, wake up, and he says, you have little faith, and calms the sea, so they leave Galilee, cross the sea, and go over to the Gerasenes, and that's when they meet the man who's possessed by the legion of demons. You guys, you guys all know, you guys all know the story you're tracking with me. And feel free to talk back to me when I'm preaching, so I have no problems with that. Um, and so Jesus, he casts the demons out, the demons go into the pigs, the pigs run off a cliff and drown. And context, like this region, their whole economy is based off of pig farming. And so when he puts these pigs, demons into these pigs, and these pigs go off of the cliff, he essentially crashes their economy. <laughs> and so, so, which I'm saying all this to show you all these things. And so, um, so after this, the possessed man is free. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Verse 37 is, And all the people of the country of the Gerasenes and the surrounding district asked him to leave. And that's essentially how it ends. The people, they, they, so all the people from all around the region and all around the country come after, this, after these pigs commit suicide. Imagine all of Lakeway coming right now and saying, Ben, get off stage. We're going to tar and feather you. You know, like... Um, that's essentially what happened. It's you've, cra- you've, you've killed all of our food. You've crashed our economy. Get the heck out. And, but it, it says that they were, when they saw the man that was possessed, they were filled with fear and then asked him to leave. And um, so the, verse, the, the one verse that I wanted to highlight out of that entire thing of context was when he sailed back over and he made it into Galilee, it said... Verse 40, and as Jesus returned, the people welcomed him, for they had all been waiting for him. And that's a word that I feel is for this people, that there's something about a corporate gathering, a corporate encounter, a corporate fill it in that we actually have to possess, 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 yes. We actually, 
it's, I call it corporate expectancy. And uh, have you guys ever, how many of you have gone to like conferences, like Christian conferences, or gone to Bethel Austin, you know? <laughs> like when you go to Bethel Austin, you're like super giddy and super excited. You're like, when I go there, the Lord's going to show up. The Lord's going to do something. That's called expectancy. And I've noticed in my life, like when was the last, other than when I started coming to Rith again after, I've been coming again for like six months, but before that, when was the last time that I actually was excited to go to church? When was the last time I was excited to meet with believers knowing that the Lord was going to show up? You look at the Azusa Street Revival, they had to turn people away at the door. And because there were people coming from all over the world to get healed. In the Toronto Blessing, in the Brownsville Revival, people were getting healed ridiculously. They had to say, we are at capacity, but people were hungry. They're like, if God's there, I'm going to go there. And it's because of expectancy. And I just want to challenge us to be ones that have expectant hearts and that will be the ones who welcome him. And Norm came up and was telling us to pray for his friend. And I realized that expectancy in my own heart, if I come into the church with expectancy, it's not about me. I can't afford to not be expectant because it's about Norm's friend. Norm's friend needs the miracle. I think of Frank Parrott's wife. She needs the miracle, you know? Um, and I just want to talk about three little corporate expectancies that situations that um, we've had recently and one that we had a long time ago. So as you guys know, Nate's dad. Everybody knows Nate Kashtan, right? And I have permission from DJ to share this, so Nate, if you're watching, my bad. But um, so Nate's dad has been sick for a long time with diabetes and cancer. And um, I wasn't even at this prayer group, but I get to glory in it because they're my friends. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but Monday, Monday night, they were praying for Nate's dad to be healed. And guess what? The next day, Nate's dad is cancer-free and has no cancer. And... and there's this thing where you come together as a people and you expect the Lord to do something. We have to have that in this entire church. It's not for me to, so the Lord can touch me, even though, yes, I want the Lord to touch me, but it's for our neighbor. Like every gift that the Lord has given you isn't for yourself. It's for your neighbor, whether it's speaking, whether it's driving a car, whatever the Lord has given you, it's not for you, it's for others. And so... Um, recently we went camping as a young adult group and it was awesome. We had like this worship session or it wasn't, it wasn't spontaneous, but it was just like, we just decided let's worship the Lord together, you know, and the Lord showed up in such a real way, camping at Lake Whitney with other people looking at us most likely. And, but we didn't care. And one of the things that I was asking the Lord, essentially like, Lord, why did you show up so much while we were camping? And the Lord just simply told me, he's like, you set me up. And I'm like, what does this mean? Like, what does this mean? What does it mean by you set me up? And it's the whole sense of a broken and contrite heart. You have not denied, you will not deny, and you have yet to deny. And so when you come to him in humility, saying, Lord, I just want you. I just need you. You've set him up. It's a trap that he's made himself to trap you to get him. And so you just say, Lord, I want you. And you do that and he'll come every single time. It's like the simple promise in Matthew 5. Jesus says, when you go to pray, close your door and there the father will be with you. It's that simple. So literally every time you go to the bathroom and shut the door, the Lord's in the bathroom with you. So... <laughs> You, you, you wonder why you get touched by the Lord in the shower or on the toilet. It's because he promised, shut the door and I'll be there with you. But, amen. And I just want to share another testimony. When we were in, when we were in India, um, we realized that, so where we lived in India, there's no churches. Me and Kalen and our team and the few Christians there were the church. You could probably count, there's probably 50 total. And... Um, 
the statistics of the city is like 0.001% Christianity, including us. And so um, it was dry, and, it, and it's called the land of 10,000 temples, and it's the birthplace of Hinduism, the birthplace of Buddhism. And so we battled witches and demons and sickness, and, but the beautiful thing is we knew that when we gathered, the Lord showed up every single time. And if he didn't show up, we couldn't have lived, literally. We, I mean, for two years, I was sick in my body and just about with like bronchitis and diarrhea. So <laughs> whatever that is. So, But we know what it means to have the Lord. And it's not a rebuke to the American church, but it's like I read a quote. I think it was by, uh, I forgot who it was, but it's like if the Holy Spirit were to leave a congregation today, would the American church actually notice? And the, the thing is, we, we need the Lord. We have to have him. And um, I've been telling some of my friends that I'm becoming increasingly unsatisfied with not having the Lord. And whether it's in, a ch- like, what's the point of going to church and gathering unless the Lord shows up? What's the point of praying? And I'm even at the point of, What's the point of me even talking unless the Lord's going to come upon my words and come in it? There's no, there's no point. The point is him. He is the end goal. And that's the only thing that matters. And so that's like a, not even the start of my sermon. So forgive me. That's just, but the testimony of, I call it the corporate expectation. When we, when we were in India, we had a Hindi teacher. I've told this story before, but reminding you guys again, we had a Hindi teacher. Her name was Jyoti. And um, she, was, she was about my age, and she was one of the few Christians in the city. And she comes from a denomination where they don't believe in healing. They believe that if you are sick, it means that you deserved it and that you did something. Um, and so Jyoti's probably 27 at the time, and, um, and she gets, she just got married, and her husband is like this fiery man of God and so bold and bringing revival to Varanasi and does a way better job than me and Colette could ever do. But she had a blood issue since she was 13 years old. And the doctor said, you will never have babies. And then um, she started to feel extreme like gut pain. And then one day she went to the doctor and found out that she had stage four bladder cancer. And the tumor was like grapefruit size. It was gigantic. That's a, that's another word. But <laughs> it was enormous. And she comes to our, to our group and she's weeping. She's like, I'm going to, the doctors gave her less than a month to live and she's newly married. And so you have the pressures of the culture saying, see, you shouldn't have married this man because her husband's a charismatic, we call him a closet charismatic. Um, so he's, he's Baptist, nothing against Baptist. I'm Baptist. I was born in the, uh, raised up in the Baptist church, but he speaks in tongues, so, but, so she, she grew up in brethren denomination, which has nothing to do with the gifts. And so her people are saying, you shouldn't have married this man. This is why you're sick. And, um, and so she comes to us, and she's like, can you just pray with me? I have to go to Mumbai, which is like a 24-hour train ride. She's like, to go see a doctor. And uh, we, we have like the, the, the test that says stage, stage four, terminal. And, like, and so we pray for her. She feels nothing. And then she goes over to Mumbai, and then she goes to the doctor. And Mumbai is just like the, our city was, is like 50 years behind everything. But Mumbai is like, it's beautiful for India. And, um, and so she, um, she goes there. She gets the x-ray. And the doctor see where the tumor was, but it wasn't there anymore. So... That's, that's, and not only that, the cherry on top was, while they were searching her stomach, they heard a heartbeat. And so a woman who was not supposed to be pregnant ever because of an issue of blood, and a woman who was dying of cancer, had less than a month to live, got healed not once, but twice. And now they have a little boy named Jason, which means God is my healer. And so, yeah, yes. And so that's what happens when you come together and believe God to do the impossible. That's what happens when you expect God to be who he says he is and come together to do that. It's just the reality. I mean, people strive for what Bethel has. It's because everybody in Bethel takes initiative of their own saying, I'm expecting God to move today. 
I'm coming here for God to be who he says today. And I believe that's the direction that, the, that this church and the church as a whole is coming into. And in reality, at the end of the age, it will happen because Revelation 22, the church is unified saying, come Lord Jesus, and he comes. And um, so, yeah, that's my uh, long intro, and I'm going to speed up because I know I don't have too long, but um, everybody turn to Luke 9. Has anybody been dreaming a lot more lately in this season than ever? Raise your hand if you've been dreaming way more than you have before. You know why that is? Because dreams are the language of the end times. That's the reality. It's Joel 2. It says, in these last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters will dream dreams and prophesy and have visions. So if you're dreaming a lot more, it's the sign of the, not the end of the age, but it's a sign of the end. So, hallelujah, we're dreaming. <laughs> I, uh, I wasn't going to, I, I had this word, and I felt it was from the Lord um, last week, and I knew it was for Rith, and I knew it was really for the church as a whole, but I try to be submissive to the Lord in everything, and I just want to hear him. I just want to speak, like I said earlier, I just want to speak what he speaks, because it's not worth me talking unless he shows up. Um, so I had three dreams Two dreams the last two days that kind of confirmed it. In the first dream, um, I was with Rith in a log cabin, and uh, Kyle was preaching. And in the dream, Kyle was essentially resetting Rith, not saying that you guys are off whatever, that you guys are off, but he's saying our focus is about Jesus and only Jesus. And he says our focus is just Jesus. And then I wake up from the dream. And because that's essentially what I'm speaking on is the man Jesus, and that's all I live for. I have one message, Christ crucified and his resurrection and his coming. That's my whole message. And so I, will only, I try to only speak about Jesus. Um, because how many times have you gone into a sermon or gone into a church where they don't talk about Jesus? They talk about the five ways you can get your life better, you know? <laughs> like, and so here's your one-step program, Jesus. <laughs> This is how you get your life better. And so if he's the object of our obsession, let's obsess over him, you know? And so, yeah, so Luke 9. Oh, second dream. Sorry, I, I'm 11.44. If we go over, please don't tar and feather me. <laughs> um, but the second dream I had, I was uh, staring outside of a house that I'm living in currently and I'm watching TV with Colette and my brother and my mom. And I look to the left and I see the moon is incredible. I like look out the window and the moon is incredibly like big. Like it's so big that it's almost like I can touch it right outside my house. And, I'm like, and it's so big I can see the dirt like moving as it moves past me. I see every crater. But the funny thing is it's like neon yellow. And then it turns to like neon pink, neon purple. And it's going across the horizon like this. And I'm like, Colette, mom, my, uh, Jared, my brother. I'm like, come, let's, let's go. You have to look at this. You have to see what's going on right now. And um, I'm like trying to take a picture of my phone to like say like, and like all of them are, they're getting, they're like amazed by it, not even taking photos of it. And I'm like trying to turn on my phone, but my hands are like so sweaty that the camera won't turn on. <laughs> and so by the time I get my camera up to look at it, the moon's gone and it's come and it's gone. And that actually, um, when I first came to the Lord, well, I first got saved when I was like nine years old, but when I was, uh, it wasn't until I was 20, I'm 30 by the way, it wasn't until I was 20 until I actually started, really started a relationship with Jesus. And I got filled with the Holy Spirit in a movie theater all by myself. Incredible encounter. I was depressed. I was anxious. I just asked the Holy Spirit to come and he showed up. And that night, and those following nights, I had three significant dreams. I had never dreamt before like that. And these are three prophetic dreams. And um, so all that to say, the moon for me is a very significant piece. Because in the, one of the first dreams that I had back in 2010, I was in a log cabin. And I was leading these little boys in a Bible study talking about the coming of the Lord. And um, which back then I didn't even know about that lingo. All I knew was 
I just got saved and now I'm speaking in tongues, you know, <laughs> like I, I didn't even really understand fully what that was. And, um, and so in the dream, I'm speaking to these boys in a log cabin about the coming of the Lord and revival. And we go outside and we see the moon, but it's little and it's the same moon where it's the flashing colors coming and going. And I remember I have to say, before we miss the moon, I have to go back in and tell these boys, wake up. The moon is here. Look, come look at the moon. And so we wake up the boys. And by the time we come out, the moon's gone. And to me, the moon represents revival. And 10 years ago, it was far off. 10 years now, it's so close where it's almost, we can almost touch it or I can see the dust of the, of the moon or I can see it. And in all, in both of these dreams, I'm trying to not miss it, trying to not miss it coming, you know? And um, so those dreams confirmed what I was going to speak on. And um, what I want to speak to you about today is the life of Mary Bethany and how to be someone who hears the Lord and who listens to him. And in, in reality, the sermon is about being a friend of God. Because, you know, how many times do you have friends who, like, like I think of Darby and Marissa. Like, Darby and Marissa are like the best of friends. Marissa goes to Darby because Darby listens to her. Darby goes to Marissa because they listen to her. And the relationship lasts because they actually listen to each other. Just like any relationship. Like, I don't want to be in a relationship where people are just always talking over me. And I'm, I'm typically that guy that's talking over people. But, like, it's not fun to be in a relationship where people don't hear you and you don't listen to them, you know? And so I want us to be listeners and hearers of Jesus. And it starts with the Mary, Mary Bethany. The story, the Mary, Mary Bethany has marked me incredibly. Um, it is my life story, I feel. It is just... It is what's marked me for the Lord. And, but before that, let's go to Luke 9, verse 20. So context is um, Jesus sends out the 12, and then he feeds, they feed the 5,000. So they're seeing all these miracles. And this is like right after the point where um, Jesus says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. So they're like at the height of their ministry, and Jesus is Mr. Popular, and then he says, eat me. And that makes everyone run away. Everybody but his disciples, and they say, where else will we go? You have the words of life. And so this is context to that. Um, and so at the end of all these miracles, Jesus has his disciples alone. Verse 20, it says, it's who do you say that I am? And Peter confesses that he is the Christ. And that's when Jesus says in other parts of the Bible where it says, you have not got this of your own, but you have heard from my Father and he has revealed it to you. And then right after that, the verse right after that, it says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised on the third day. Peter's highest form of revelation, the verse right after that is, hey, disciples, I'm going to die. And so... Um, Yes. Sorry, catching my thoughts. All right, so right after that, go, uh, go over to verse 28. It's the transfiguration. I won't read all of it since we're short on time, but um, so Jesus brings his three best friends up the mountain to go, um, to go pray. And um, yeah, I'll just read it. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different. So Jesus brings his disciples up the mountain, and while he's praying, his face, the appearance of his face became different, and his clothing became white and gleaming. And behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah, who, appearing in glory, were speaking of his departure, meaning his death, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep, but when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And, you know, Peter says, okay, let's build you. Let's, can I build these tents? And everybody's like, why did he say that? Well, Jewish feast days, it's probably in the time of tabernacles where they would, like, build Sukkots and things like that. Like, Glenn celebrated this year, which is awesome. Um, but they essentially saw Moses and Elijah and were like, hey, they're here to be, practice Sukkot with us. So let's celebrate Sukkot. Should I build a tent? And so, um, but then... Um, it says, while he was saying this, a cloud formed and began to overshadow them, and they were afraid 
as they entered the cloud. Then a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Of all the things. So the Lord in all four gospels came three times and spoke. Once, uh, when Jesus was getting baptized, he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The second time he spoke was in the temple where everybody was amazed. And he said the same thing. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. But the third time when God spoke, he didn't speak to Jesus. He spoke to the disciples. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. He could have said anything. He could have said, fear him, worship him. He could have even said, love him. But the only thing that he said was, listen to him. And as you can see later on, that the disciples didn't listen to him. You know, after that, Jesus says again, like, I'm going to be killed. And Peter rebukes him. He says, no, you're not going to be killed. Like, blah, 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 blah. And Jesus is like, get behind me, Peter. Like, literally, because... He's, he's, God is saying to his disciples on the mountain, listen to Jesus. What he is saying right now is of high importance. And the thing that Jesus talks about the most after this is, I'm going to go die. I'm going to be delivered and I'm going to die. And you see, after, after they get down the mountain, they're like arguing with each other, like, who's the greatest? I'm the greatest. And that's the entire, that's the entirety of the whole thing. And so, um, yeah, just make, make, let me make sure I'm getting my notes correct. So yeah, of all the things we could do, the Lord told his disciples, and we're an extension of disciples, he says, hear him. That's why it's important, important to listen to him. Now, I'm not going to give you tools on how to listen to him today, but I just want to burn it in you to listen to him and to be like this little girl, Mary of Bethany. And so let's... Uh, Let's move over to Luke 10, verses 38. So Jesus comes down the mountain, and he's going, and he's walking back. And a little time later, um, he comes to the city of Bethany. And um, that's where he meets this family, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, who are his best friends. And, um, and so now as they were, and I won't go into the complete context of Mary of Bethany, but if you study the word Bethany, you realize that it means the house of the poor or the house of welcoming. There's two different translations for it. And so it's a beautiful thing when you, once you read the story. But now as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening. That's the key phrase. Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, comma, listening to his word. And... So the disciples, all before that, they're arguing who's the greatest. They're saying, Jesus, you told me you're going to die. You're not going to die. But Jesus goes to this house, and he sees this little girl who's probably 13 or 14 years old. And even Martha, who's cooking and trying to like make be, be, a, be a hospitable host, which is what I would do. But it says Mary is doing the good thing. And she was sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all of her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. That one good thing is that she's listening to him. And we actually don't know what Jesus said to her, but we know that we can fast forward later on in the chapter and we can see that later on. Um, yeah. Sorry, going over my notes real quick just to make sure. So this is about seven months before Jesus is going to go die. The main thing that I want you to take away from is that Mary listened to him. She was a hearer of the word and she heard him. And, um, and I believe, according to later on, that he actually told Mary that he was going to die. Um, we, and we'll see it later on with another story of Mary, um, which we'll go to right now, Mark 14. So Mark 14, you guys can turn there if you want. You don't have to. I can just read it to you. But Mark 14,
maybe it's not Mark 14, so sorry. <laughs> Mark 14, sorry. Mark 14 is the... Um, I Yes, that. What's the alabaster jar? 14.3. I was right? Praise God. Oh, I'm in Matthew. That's why. Duh. I was like, no, it's not. Okay. Mark 14, there we go, I was right. I know my Bible, <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, so seven months later, he returns to Bethany. It's about a week before he dies. And it says, while he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial, a very costly perfume of pure nard, and she broke the vial and poured it over his head. But some were indignantly remarking to one another, why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they were scolding her. But Jesus said, let her alone or leave her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you wish, you can do good to them. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. And she has anointed my body for, for my death my body beforehand for the burial. And truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. And so Mary, this is why I believe that when Mary was listening to her back in Luke 9, when Mary was listening back to Jesus in Luke 9, this is why I believe that Jesus told her, hey, I'm going to go die. And the disciples still didn't believe Jesus at this time. And so you do seven months later, a week before his death, he comes back to Bethany. And, you know, Mary of Bethany is, she's poor. She's in, Bethany is the house of the poor. And so she's a poor woman and she's giving everything that she has to Jesus. So she actually is one that says, I heard him. He said he is going to go die. And that's why Jesus says she did what she could, you know, that's the, the only thing that she could do was say, hey, I can't do much, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to give everything that I have and anoint Jesus for his burial to him. And just a little side, so, sorry, it's 12 o'clock, just a little side note for fun. Um, you know that, like, I don't know, it's okay. I'll get to it later. Um, but yes, she is the one, she's a woman who heard him and listened to him. And, um, you know, all the, they were scoffing at her, and Jesus said, hey, leave her alone. And so she, she knew that she couldn't deliver him from the cross, but she did what she could. She anointed him for his burial. And she essentially gave up her, we know that the alabaster jar was like her livelihood, you know. And um, she essentially gave everything that she could to him because she saw the worthiness of Jesus and, you know, people said that she was wasting everything, but she saw it as a beautiful waste. And in return, Jesus gave her an everlasting memorial. So how many times when you had the gospel preached to you, did you hear the story of Mary of Bethany alongside of it? Never. And, but that's what Jesus says, wherever this gospel goes forth, her story would be told as well. And there's one thing that me and Colette say, if the gospel shows you how to be saved, then the story of Mary of Bethany shows you how to live. And it's the, it's, the, it's the continual devotion to the man Jesus where you're selling everything, you're giving everything to him. Like, I lay down my rights, period. It's just like how I love Colette. Like, as, when I married Colette and became a husband, my dreams, my desires, my everything are laid down to promote her dreams and her desires. And that's how we're to love Jesus as well. That's how you're supposed to do it. Um, and so in return, Jesus gave her an everlasting memorial. And I believe what moved him the most is he had a friend in this hour who heard him. Because like I said earlier, friends are the ones who listen to you, you know? And so all of his disciples and all the people were around him not listening to him. But he, but he found this little girl, this 14-year-old girl who listened to him. And you got to think about when Jesus was going to the cross, he still had that perfume on him. 
how many of you ladies have like broken a perfume bottle like in your purse or something like that and it like reeks? Well, imagine like the most costly perfume that you could ever buy, Chanel, whatever, and getting like a big old bottle of it and breaking it in your purse and then it gets all over your skin. So Jesus has this perfume from the top of his head down to the bottom of his feet. So when he's being whipped with every lashing he takes, he smells her perfume with every step he takes for three miles to Golgotha, he smells her perfume. He smells her act of love for him. And that even that's, and he's like, I have a friend. All of my sheep have scattered. No one is with me, but Mary is. And she's following me and I smell her. And it's pleasing to me. And it's Mary, it's, it's us, but it's, it's Mary is why I will endure the cross because I smell her. And um, that's just, that's my two cents. Um, but even up to the garden, like you got to think in the garden of Gethsemane, the disciples still didn't get it. He's saying, hey, will you stay up with me? Will you tarry with me? They keep falling asleep. And so Mary was really essentially the only one who got it. So can we turn to Second Peter 3, please? And this is the start of my conclusion, so forgive me if I'm going over. But this is the word that I believe is for the church today as a whole in America. And I believe it's for a river in the hills. And in those dreams that I had earlier, when I was talking about Kyle speaking about just Jesus, to me in my dreams, a log cabin always represents America. It's Abraham Lincoln's house. So I always imagine it's America. And so when I had the dream of the little boys, it's revival in America. And... Um, so let's, Second uh, Peter 3. So the title of this is, it's called The Purpose of This Letter. Like, this is why Peter wrote it. And um, let's start in verse 3. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. And then Peter says, for when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water and through which the world at that time was destroyed being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and the earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any of you to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And you go on to read, it says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its work will be burned up. And so I strongly believe that is the word for the church today. And just historically, me and Colette just watched a movie over Thanksgiving called 1917. It's an amazing movie. It has got like 26 cuss words in it, but it's still an amazing movie. <laughs> And, uh, but so at the very beginning of the movie, it's just two best friends hanging out. It's, it's based in war, based about World War One, And these two best friends are just hanging out. And all of a sudden, one of the boys gets, says, hey, the general's in this bunker. Come see this general. So the boys get up and go. And he says, and bring a friend with you. So the boys get up and run. And then all of a sudden, the general says, hey, I need you to go deliver this message to wherever, like somewhere over in France, and he's like, because 1,600 men are about to die. And so the, you see the shift and the change where these boys are like happy-go-lucky. They're like, oh, man, I wonder what's going on. And then all of a sudden, they're saying, hey, 1,600 men are about to go die. I need you to go deliver this message to them to say, stop the attack, or these 1,600 men are going to go die. And so every, things just change in a moment historically. Even World War I, you know how it started? Duke Franz Ferdinand was assassinated. Like, I want you to imagine you're this Hungarian boy or um, like you're like 18 years old. You're having like you're hanging out with your friends. All of a sudden, Franz Ferdinand is killed. And in the next month, 
you're in war. And actually the whole world is in war in one month. And at the end of, let me get my statistics right, sorry. Yes, so Franz Ferdinand assassinated in one month, the whole world is at war. And four years later, 16 million people die. Everything changes so quickly. Just like my dreams, how the moon came and it left. Things come so quickly. It talks about the Lord coming like a thief in the night. So even just imagine World War II. How did that start? You're a little girl in Poland. And then overnight, tanks roll in. Nazi tanks come in. You've heard rumors that the Germans were going to be coming. But overnight, tanks roll in. And then starts the beginning of World War II. Your, your parents are being shipped off to a concentration camp. You're fleeing for your life. And then that was September 1st, 1939. The German tanks roll in. And so 10 years later, 75 million people are dead. Imagine, and so at the end of that, at the end of like the 75, uh, at the end of that war, you know, the, all the European powers diminished and the UN was formed and Israel became a nation. So all these things changed all of a sudden. Even in World War I, you know, we were, used to be ruled by like empires, like it was the Austro-Hungarian Empire, the German Empire, the Ottoman Empire. After World War I, it stopped and nationalism came in where Germans were with Germans and Germans led Germans, essentially like that. Um, so all that to say, things aren't always going to be just as they were. Think of where you were summer of 2019, having the time of your life, probably vacationing with your family, getting tan, you know, and you have all these plans. You're like, 2020 is going to be my year. Then all of a sudden, January 2020 happens and COVID hits the U.S., and it changes everything. It puts a stop on everything and how fast in the blink of an eye something can change. And I believe that America probably won't go back to the way that it was. That COVID is almost like a 9-11 kind of thing where it actually is like a gut punch where it's like a wake up and it says, wake up, see what's going on. Because I really don't believe things will be the same. And if I'm wrong, then tar and feather me later. But um, I really believe that there's no going back from this that the only way forward is to cry out for revival. And we get revival. I've been telling, me and Kyle have been talking about this, is the only way forward is humility. Whether President Trump wins, which we're praying he will, or whether Biden wins, no matter what, the only way forward is through humility. It's if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. That's the whole track. If we're humble, he will come. And so I don't want us to keep imagining that things are just going to be as they were because I was like that in 2019. Who could have seen COVID happening? Nobody could have seen COVID happening. And, um, and so I want us to be a people who take Jesus at his word, who are like Mary and Bethany, who will see what he, who will hear what he's saying. And so... We can, we can, you don't have to turn there, but it's like, okay, so what is the Lord trying to ring true in our ears today? What is the Lord doing today? And I believe even for Rith that the Lord is raising up Rith as like people who are sons of Issachar. And if you, if you know who Issachar is, it was one of the 12 tribes and they're the ones who could read the seasons and deliver the word of the Lord dependent on how they saw the seasons. And so they could follow the Lord based on the seasons. And I fully believe that the Lord is doing that in Rith and even all over the American church. And so to close up, um, Rachel, you can go ahead and come up for a little bit. And um, I want us to be a people who hear him, who will listen to his words and obey him. Um, do you guys know that Jesus is waiting for something? Do you guys know that? Hebrews 10 talks about that he is waiting eagerly for his enemies to be made a footstool for him. How many of you guys have like, ordered something on Amazon and like within five minutes you look where it's coming, like if it, when it's coming in. Like when you're waiting for something, that means you're like eagerly desirous to see it come, you know? And Jesus is eagerly desirous to come back as well. And we see that in Revelation 22 and actually later on in Hebrews where he says, lo, I am coming and I will not tarry. And that's the word I believe that he is speaking now.
He's like, fixate on this one thing. I am looking for friends in this hour who will hear me and who will love me. And they will hear the things that I say where I'm saying, Revelation 22, lo, I am coming and I will not tarry. We have to be a people who hear him and actually believe what he says he will do. We can't be like the disciples at first where he said, I'm going to go die. And they said, no, Lord, you're not going to go die. We have to love what he loves and desire what he desires. I believe Jesus is looking for friends on the earth who will bind their hearts to his and love him according to how he desires to be loved and people who love his appearing. And I feel like it's a fresh invitation today just to say, Jesus, I want to love your appearing. This is the end all be all. He is the first. He is the last of everything. He is why I'm a missionary. It's not so I can go off and save people. My heart's desire, because I've been wounded with love, I realize things are not okay unless Jesus returns. That it actually is a love sickness. Like when my, when my wife goes off to hang out with her friends, it sucks. Like I love to be with her constantly. You know, no matter how often I'm with her, I love to be with her. It's because I'm wounded by her love. And um, it's the same way with Jesus. I'm wounded by him, and I realize that things are not okay when someone is missing. And the end-all, be-all of our lives is that we get to live in relationship with him. It's not that I get saved. Maybe you came into salvation because you didn't want to go to hell, which is okay. But the Lord sneakily said it's because you actually, your heart, I see the 1% of your heart desire where you actually just want to be with me. And I believe that's what the Lord is fixating. He says, return to me, fixate your eyes on me and my words. Remember, I have the words of life. I am the desire of the nations. So if you guys want to, sorry, if you guys want to, you can come up and get prayed for. I just want to release eyes to see and ears to hear and a love sickness for Jesus. So you can either stand where you are or come up to the altar. It doesn't matter to me, but um, I want to pray for us. on you, on your face. And we say, Jesus, we will remember what you said. We will remember your promise when you said, I am coming and I will not tarry. So Father, today in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would release a love sickness in your bride that we will be a friend of the bridegroom today. That we will be the ones who fast and watch and pray and eagerly do everything that we can to hasten the day of the Lord's return. Jesus, we declare that you are the desire of the nations. You are the reason why we are living. You are the end and not the means to my own end. Jesus, it is you we adore. Father, today, I'm asking for eyes to see the beauty of the man Jesus, the worthiness of the Lamb Jesus. Father, I'm asking today that you would give us ears to hear the bridegroom calling, saying, I am coming and I desire friends. Lord, you're saying you're looking to and fro on the earth to find friends. Lord, I'm asking that you would find a friend in me and my comrades today, Lord. 
would we be your friends? So in the name of Jesus, I release friendship over you. Friendship through the Holy Spirit and a love sickness for your return. May we be the ones who hasten your day by whatever means necessary. We love you, Jesus.